Today I want to talk to you about WeSatch. What? WeSatch. You don't have that to you in Canada. WeSatch. It, no, no, no. It's a different thing. <laughs> if you, uh, if you uh, manage any kind of land, if you're a farmer, you're a rancher, or you're trying to sell, Brad Beavers, farm and ranch, there is a dirty word, and the dirty word is WeSatch. You know what I'm talking about? So if you're driving uh, on 290 and you're coming into town and you're passing these beautiful rolling hills, you know, and there's this nice house up there and they've got these Italian something and others growing up here and there and there's this pond and these cows who are just singing the bluebell song, you know, as you go past and you go, oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, millions of dollars are just ticking up as you pass by. It just keeps getting higher and higher as you drive past it. And you're like, oh. That is like the beauty, this is what I moved here for, is the beauty of that. And as you're passing by it, then you come to the property line and right next to it, you've seen this, there is this field and you can't see the field because there are these like shrubs that are, out, that are everywhere, right? My boys worked at a ranch uh, in high school and their job, their main job was to cut out weesatch. It's, a, it's an invasive bush has these thorns and what it does is it takes over everything you can't farm you can't ha your cows can't get through it and you surely can't pass by it and go that's a very attractive looking thing it's just ugly bushes we such now there's another thing that i hate almost as much as we such and that is hackberries hackberry is a tree that is a trash tree it it grows up usually close to water, and it kind of crowds at everybody else, and it has like warts on it. Like that's the bark is warts. And the limbs are not worth anything. They didn't, it's not like a, a majestic oak, you know. It, it's, it's got all these gnarly limbs that fall off, and you can't build a treehouse, and it is worth nothing. It, it is only good for cutting down. And you, even if you cut it down and you use it as firewood, it pops. So it's not even good Firewood. I hate Weesatch. I hate hackberries. That's all I had for you today. <laughs> I just had to get that off my chest. Today we are looking at Jesus talking with the Pharisees. And he is talking with his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 21. And Jesus is speaking especially to the scribes and Pharisees and kind of on the side of his mouth, he's really describing to his disciples how these teachers of the law and these followers of the law have picked out certain laws and have built something around them and have lost the essence, the truth of what the law was created for. We studied last week, that Jesus, or two weeks ago, before, uh, before Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day, wasn't that awesome? Amen. I hope you never get over Resurrection Day. And so, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came. Jesus came not to abolish those laws, but he came to what? Fulfill those laws, to, to complete them. And so, here is Jesus picking out we'll see the biggest, ugliest of the sins 
in the Ten Commandments, the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder, the biggest, ugliest hackberry that needs to be removed. And what you're going to hear him say is, although you Pharisees and scribes think that you've done something by not having that big old ugly hackberry on your property, your whole property is full of wee-satch. And it's worth nothing. Listen to Jesus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is here not to abolish the Ten Commandments, but to fulfill them. The Pharisees were happy to say, look, I am not a murderous person. I, have, I am following the law. I have never killed anybody. And so by looking at the law, they have said to themselves, I am okay because I have not reached that point of the law. Next week, Casey will be preaching, and he will be talking about adultery, and he'll be talking about lust. And he, they have done the same thing with this commandment, where they say, well, I've never actually committed adultery, so I'm okay. But Jesus is going to say, I have come to fulfill the law and show you that there are many things that lead up to murder. There are many things that lead up to adultery that you are so happy to discount in your life. But I want to show you that you have lost the sense of what the law was created for. It was created to to, to show in you that both you have sin that needs to be forgiven, but to show you a new way, a better way. And so now Jesus is going to show them there is a better way. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they used the law of Moses. And they were happy not to commit those great sins, but their lives were full of wesatch. They could point to that and say, look, I, I've, I've never murdered. But Jesus is saying, be careful, followers after God, because there's still murder in your heart. Paul, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse, six, uh, verse 4 through 6, says this, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, resurrection people, in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So although you didn't break that law, you've broken the law leading up to that. So Jesus says in, in, in two things, and in, in two things not to call people. <laughs> he says the first word, uh, in some of your translations, it says, uh, do not say raka. Uh, and raka is a, an Aramaic word. So in Jesus' time, they are, they are speaking among the Hebrew people. They're speaking Aramaic. The text is written in Hebrew. The biblical text is written in Hebrew. And the trade, lang- trade language is Koine Greek. So the language of the Bible, the Bible is written down in, is Koine Greek. The word that he's using here is something that was be used among them, the word raka. In the ESV, it says uh, that you should not insult. But really, the word is you should not say raka. Is anyone guilty of saying raka here? No? Good. We can pass on to the next one. Now, what he's saying, the word raka is, is hard for us to kind of even get the sense of what it's saying specifically, but it basically means empty. It's calling someone stupid, really. That's probably the best way we can say it. We're calling, or, or if you're born a few years before, uh, blockhead, or a few years after that, knucklehead. So those are, that's kind of the vernacular we would use. Now, for you and me, to, to call someone stupid or, or like some of, some of the parents and kids are here are cringing right now because your parents will never let you say that word. Well, that's exactly why, because here it's saying that is a bad word. Remember when Jesus is speaking, though, calling people names is different than even calling people names today. Let me give you an example. So when, when Abram, remember Abram leaves uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, and he goes, and he, he makes his way to the promised land, and he's following God. Along the way, God changes his name and calls him Abraham. Right. He changes his name. The, the context has changed. He has changed. His purposes have changed. Now he has a new name. Abraham becomes Abram. Sarai becomes Sarah. Their names change. We even see it in the New Testament. Jesus is going to do the same thing with Simon. He's going to say, now Simon, because Simon now says that Jesus is the Son of God. He confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. He says of Simon, Simon, from now on, your name will be called Peter or Rock. And upon this Peter, upon this Rock, I will build the church. See, names were important. They were, they were a description, kind of like in Native, Native American culture where you call someone like Lightfoot. Like, that's because they could sneak up on animals really good, right? Like, that became who they were. It was an expression of not just an adjective, but it was actually who they were. And so when Jesus is saying that someone says of another person they are stupid, he's not using it as an adjective. He's not saying, hey, you're a stupid person. No, he's saying that you say to another, or you think of another person, hey, stupid. Not he is stupid, but you are identified as, your character is, 
You are a knucklehead. You are just, you're a knucklehead. And that's what I call you. And so your name, if, this, if you are the offender in this way, there is a certain person that you are considering a, as knucklehead, as stupid, as even dead to you. They aren't, they aren't a real person anymore, you see. They are, they are dead to you. And in your anger, because of something they've done to you or someone else, you consider them, you speak to them, you act like they are stupid. Jesus says, if this is the kind of uh, heart that you have towards another, if this is how you consider another, if this is how you act towards another, you are a murderer. Whoa. Instead of committing a violent act against someone, the way that you've considered and acted towards them, even without violence, they have become dead to you and you are a murderer. He goes on to say that uh, there's this other word that, that means you fool. Uh, the word actually is more. And it, instead of talking about maybe the head of a person as being empty, it talks about a life that is empty, a soul that is empty, that they are, probably the best word might be a fool or a scoundrel. And so it says of another person, I am now considering you, I'm calling you that kind of fool. And that's how you describe them. That's how you think about them. That's how you describe them to others. That's how you act towards them as if they are a fool. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is not gospel living. This is not the gospel living that Jesus has for us. This is not the good news applied in our lives. Jesus came to change that understanding, to give a true sense of the law and what it's about. So now he says, instead of saying those things, the gospel brings, breathes life into things. Now, the law, as it was described, do not murder, it, it falls short of showing the full context in which we kill people. And the law itself, if you look back at Leviticus and, and, and in, in Deuteronomy, you see there are all kinds of laws against touching things that are dead. Remember we talked about that not long ago. And, it's, and, and touching and coming in contact with things that are diseased. The reality, that what, what is expressing there is that sin causes death and destruction. And so we should have that removed from the community. And so when our words migrate from just being angry at someone, and they, they migrate towards killing someone in our hearts, and acting out and saying things that are violent towards other people, you see, it has now changed from just a reaction. Now, sin has done its good work, and now it's about the, the point of causing death and destruction. Does that make sense? You see, our anger migrates as it, it gets enveloped in sin to cause death and destruction to the object of our anger. So Jesus says, according to the law that he's coming to fulfill, if you are acting like this, if you are thinking like this, if you're killing other people in your mind and by your actions, you are 
a murderer. That must be uh, must have been pretty abrasive for the disciples, pretty abrasive for the Pharisees, and pretty abrasive for us today. So, what happens though? You know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, could be preached in you know like twelve minutes. So each of these requires maybe a book. You know, each of these things require a book of itself, and so we won't be able to. I won't give you the whole book version. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version today. Some of these things have to be worked out uh, beyond just what we can talk about today. But there is a reason, there are reasons to have anger, right? There is righteous anger. Was Jesus ever angry? Yes, Jesus was angry. But do you see how Jesus, uh, his anger was first righteous, he was angry for a reason. He, he turned over tables in the temple. That's one of our favorite examples. That he, he, he turned over tables in the temple because what they were doing was sinful and wrong. It was, it was desecrating the, the place of worship. So Jesus acted out in anger. But his actions were, first of all, justifiable. He is also the author uh, and the, the finisher of the faith. He is the, the author and creator of the temple. So it is his very house that he is protecting. So he was right in doing it. But his actions were not meant to kill anyone with his actions, to destroy them, to call them stupid, but to point out the sin. This is the gospel message. That, as Luther said, we should be friendly to the person, Martin Luther said, but friendly to the person, but hostile to the sin. Righteous anger sees the sin and wants to deal with the sin without killing the, pe- the person. Our sin oftentimes, mig- I mean, our, our anger oftentimes migrates from a, a sense of justice and rightness because people do things that are against us that are wrong or do get things against other people that are wrong. And so even as a parent, hear this, right? Our kids they mess up. They do the wrong thing. They have the wrong attitude towards their, their brother or sister or, or towards a friend or are disobedient or are not going to do their homework. And there are things that we need to call them out and say, you are wrong in doing that. But how often does that, that anger in us for doing what's right migrate into something else? Amen. And so we can kill our kids with our words. And with our attitudes, and there's a big gulp that went across, right, the room right now. And with our husband and wife, oh my goodness, it's getting heavier, isn't it? Well, you may have a legitimate and right reaction to your husband, your spouse, because they got it wrong. But how often do you begin to add to that our sin And we say words instead of of life and redemption and peace. They're full of anger and murder. You feel a little dirty right now? (laughs) Be careful with your words. They're a reflection of your heart. What about coaches, teachers, pastors, (laughs) counselors. 
We can have a righteous anger and an unrighteous response. If Elijah was here, he'd be saying something right now. You know that, Elijah Thomas. (laughs) Help him, Lord. So Jesus says, be mindful of these things in your heart and your mind that your life is very likely has, if not overrun, has plenty of wesatch in it. There's plenty of, of anger that has moved and migrated towards death and destruction. So what do we do about that? Well, Jesus then gives two examples. He says, this offense of murder, well, it's probably not going to be, no one's going to actually put you in prison for that, usually. <laughs> but it's still very serious. And so he gives two examples. He talks about uh, one of, of going to being in the church uh, or the place of worship, and the other is someone taking you to court. So there's two examples. So he says, now, if you are in worship service, and you are about to give your offerings. Now, when he's talking about offerings, he's not talking about your normal tithes, the things that you would give just as a a part of that community, the regular expectation. But these are gifts kind of above and beyond that for for special situations, kind of even like Brenham next today. And so if you come to give your gift— And then the Pharisees came. They would give gifts so that everyone knew. I know when I was a little kid, when the offering passed, we used to pass the offering basket, you know, the offering plate. You know, it was uh, this wooden thing. And so I would always have coins. You always want to have coins as a kid. And so when it came by, you were like, bing, bing, like that. So everyone knew that you were giving. That's what the Pharisees, they were doing it because they were were uh, childish. Uh, They were doing it because they were proud. And so they were given such a way that it would be known to others. And he said, now if you come to give and show how you love the Lord, but yet in you you have committed murder during the week, you should leave your offerings there and you should leave that place. Secondly, if you find out, if you, if, if, while you're doing that worship, you realize someone has something against you, then you should leave that place. Furthermore, if you... If you owe someone a, de- a debt and you are on your way to court, it is better, it is better for you to catch up with them on the way to court and try to settle your issue before you get to court. Because if you get to the judgment, what will happen? You'll be found wanting. They will put you in prison. And, and in, their, in this case, they would put you in a debtor's prison. And in a debtor's prison, you would have to work it off. You'd have to work off what you owed, which means that friends and family— you would no longer have your regular job to work at all, so you have to work like the work they had for you, and your friends and family would have to come and feed you. And it says then you would have to continue to do that work until you've paid every last cent, which means you're doing the most inefficient way to pay your expenses. You should have made an agreement on the way, you knucklehead, <laughs> right? You, you should do something about that. On the way, make amends. Because it's only going to get worse for you when you stand before the judge. Because you get these other people involved, and it gets more expensive. It wastes your time. Hey, 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 wake up. A judgment is coming. Make amends right now. And that's what it's saying. Brothers and sisters, if you're at church today, 
and you hear this word of God, you and me, and you recognize that there's someone in your life that has become dead to you, that you, with your words or with your actions, you killed them. If you said things or, or acted in an oppressive way towards other people, if you have, if you torn down someone else's character, if you have shouted and caused a fit, if you if you brought brought someone else down low, you need to leave. <laughs> That's what he's saying. What are you doing? The judgment of God could come at any moment for you and me. So our response should be immediate. So even if during our service today, and we're going to have a time of reflection in just a minute, gulp, and as we do, you realize there is someone, you, you, the, the Holy Spirit, who's so good at this, <laughs> brings to mind like, oh, oh, I, I have not made it right. I have not on my part made amends. That's part of amends. Is it, when you make amends, you make, you make right what is yours. You can't make them change. You can't make them ask for forgiveness. You can't make them repent. You can't do any of that. All you can do is own yours and say, okay, I, I don't like what you did, but I know this is what I've done, and I was wrong for doing that. And if it's done publicly, I would encourage you, to do that publicly. If it's done privately, I encourage you to do it privately. If you've just hidden these words in your heart and sinned against God and sinned against that person, you need to go directly to God with that. But as we come to a close of this service and we have appeared as righteous and as we give our offerings and as you give generously to Brenham next in just a minute, amen. If we still are harboring that sin in our heart, we failed. Psalm 66, verses 16 through 19 say this, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. We worship greatly. If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. James, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, tells us to not let the sun go down on our anger, to act immediately. Are we going to be a gospel people? Brothers and sisters, I know, like, we just sang, we sang a song. Do you realize we just sang a song that says, Lord, I repent. Who sings those kind of songs? Like, who wants to put music to Lord, I repent? We don't, we don't want to repent, right? Our flesh doesn't want to repent. But brothers and sisters, we are gospel people. God made you and me for this very thing. This is the better life. Although I know it stretches our spirit, it brings us immediately 
feelings of shame and failure, embarrassment. And in those moments when we feel those things, we speak against them with the truth that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I carry on this, carry with me the sanctification of his son. I am loved and completely accepted by God. Jesus has come to relieve me of this hatred, to, to clean out the wee hatch in my life. The Holy Spirit is working to soften my heart. Are you feeling it right now? The action of, of making amends is per, further proof that I am and you are the children of God. Reluctance. Fighting against that may be a sign of something else. Today, speak against the voice inside of you that has to get its own way. Speak against the voice inside of you that doesn't want to lose face. Maybe you haven't uttered the words to the other person, but you have resentment building in your heart. If you give it much more time, in the right situation, it's going to blow up. People of God, let us forgive. People of God, let us hate sin and not the sinner. And maybe work towards a better end. And do it now. Do not wait. You know that as Jesus is like talking about this imaginary person who's in this service and they're realizing, oh, I have, there's someone who has something against me. Our tendency is to go, I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll take care of that next week. I'll push that off. Why? Because we don't want to talk to them. <laughs> they were dead to us. You mean to resurrect all that? Now, I know all this needs to be taken with wisdom, and it should be worked out in your life, and we should, we should talk more about what it means to make amends. But he's saying, what you need to do, don't push off anymore. Go and do it. And so I'm going to challenge you. I don't know if the elders will let me do this or not. but Don't come back here. Don't come back here until you do that. All right? Start that process this week. And, and maybe it's a long list. That's why we, we need to keep short, short accounts. Start that process this week. Offering forgiveness. Making amends for our wrongs. For we are the people of God. Bought the blood of Jesus, to live as people of light, to the glory of God the Father. Let him stretch your spirit this week. Let him be your fulfillment, your peace, as you walk in peace. Amen.